Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Zaylot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Before introducing our topic and guests today, I would ask that if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as support the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, to please go to our website, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red donate button. We thank you for your generosity. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Doctrine has promulgated a new document titled Doctrinal Note on the Moral Limits to Technological Manipulation of the Human Body. While this document addresses multiple issues, its central claim is that medical interventions for so-called gender transitioning are not morally permissible. Because church teachings are often misconstrued or outright misrepresented, we at the NCBC thought it was necessary to comment on this very important doctrinal note. Joining me today to do so are Dr. Ted Furton, NCBC Director of Publications, and Dr. John Brahaney, NCBC Executive Vice President and Director of Institutional Relations. Ted, John, and I will discuss what the Doctrine Committee stated, its rationales for doing so, and the implications of its teaching for Catholic healthcare. Ted and John, both of you, welcome back to Bioethics on Air. Yeah, good to be with you again. Yeah, Joe, always always fun to be on the podcast with you. All right, so uh, our listeners should know that uh, both of you have been on the podcast multiple times, so we'll dispense with the, with the introductions and really kind of get into the issues at play. So uh, starting off, John, with you, uh, the U.S. Bishop's Doctrine Committee has uh, promulgated this document, as I mentioned in the introduction. But I was wondering if you could tell us briefly, what is the Committee on Doctrine? Uh, so you know, who comprises it and what's its role? Well, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is an organization of all the bishops of the United States. I think there are about 174 or 75 dioceses, of course, many auxiliary bishops, and the USCCB was brought into being to, to foster and sometimes defend the life of the church and the work, all the works of the church in the United States. So the bishops are really, again, trying to promote the church with, within our nation. And uh, there are 17 major committees that uh, take on all kinds of issues. Some, some you might say, longstanding, and some have been created more recently. But the Committee on Doctrine uh, is one of those committees, one of 17. Uh, its focus is on proper teaching, and this is always a concern for the church, uh, because Revelation uh, is teaching by God about God, and um, it's important to get that right. And uh, so I would say just as the congregation for the doctrine of the faith has always been practically the most important, significant congregation in Rome, the Committee on Doctrine is certainly one of the important committees of the USCCB, looking at issues of teaching about the faith itself, teaching about moral theology, and teaching about liturgy. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, the, the the office in Rome is now called, what is it, the Discastery? Or the Congress? Yeah. The change it, in it, name. So, 
Yeah, change in name. I'm not sure entirely what to make of it. It used to be called the Holy Office, you know, but in uh, probably um, no matter the name, uh, preserving the deposit of the faith, <laughs> those right. most important truths that God has revealed and that are part of getting us back to God is is certainly central to the mission of the church from its headquarters in Rome to the work of the bishops in the United States. Very good. So John, the document we're going to discuss today is a doctrinal note. And I'm wondering if you could tell us what is a doctrinal note and what level of authority does it have? Yeah, that that's a good question. Well, let's let's take up the uh, the issue of authority first. It's always an important. Well, it's, an, it's certainly an important issue in the church and and even in our nation. You know, if if somebody is going to tell us something, we have to either believe or accept or do, and, and there's some sort of requirement that we do it. Then then we have to say, well, who who are you to tell me that? Certainly the congregation or dicastery for the doctrine of the faith in Rome clearly has significant teaching authority. The USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, does not have doctrinal teaching authority. In other words, they or it cannot, in a sense, tell other bishops what to believe or what to do. True authority uh, for teaching and governing the church uh, resides in bishops. On the other hand, the bishops, again, have gotten together in the USCCB to promote the life and work of the church in the United States and to get straight some very important issues of, of belief and moral action uh, and so on. So the, the, uh, there's not an authority in that the USCCB uh, itself uh, can teach people what to believe or to do, but as a resource of bishops or bishops, it, it is very important. And this gets me to the title, Doctrinal Note. Uh, I looked back through the documents of the Committee on Doctrine going back 30 years. They've taken up some very important issues, including proper care uh, of infants with anencephaly, how to deal with challenging pregnancies, and what's the difference between a direct abortion, and a legitimate effort to protect the life and health uh, of a mother. Uh, and of course, the Committee on Doctrine actually it is the committee that publishes the ethical and religious directives, or certainly oversees all that. So, And yet I could not find another title like this. So I, it appears to be a unique title, but I would say reading through it uh, in the context of all the other documents, I think what they're trying to say is we are taking up important teachings of the church on human nature, on the good of the human person, on respect for the body, and things like this. So I think they're trying to highlight that there are important teachings at stake. That's what I would say. Very good. So next question is going to, uh, going to go to Ted. And Ted, uh, as you know, we at the NCBC have seen 
numerous, uh, probably 30, 35 plus uh, diocesan gender related policies over the past few years. But these policies generally address things like, say, name and pronoun use, bathroom use, locker room use, things like that. And they focus almost exclusively on Catholic schools and direct church institutions. Now, before we came um, online here or started recording, I asked both you and John if, if uh, you knew of any other place that the U.S. bishops had addressed Catholic health care on issues of gender, uh, particularly medical interventions for, for so-called transitioning. And both of you said, no, this seems to be the first time. So, Ted, assuming this is the first time that the U.S. bishops are addressing Catholic health care on this issue, on this issue, I should say, what do you think compelled the Doctrine Committee to promulgate this document at this particular time? Well, I'm sure there's many factors, but uh, the, the fact is that the transgender movement, if you will, uh, has affected society very broadly. Pope Francis has called it the transgender ideology, and it is the claim that it is possible for a person to be in the wrong body, a male to be in a woman's body or a woman to be in a man's body. Uh, but beneath kind of the social chaos, for example, men competing in women's sports or uh, men being housed with women in prisons because they claim to be women also, there's also the uh, problem of gender dysphoria, which is a real psychological problem, which is listed in the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of mental disorders, their fifth edition, uh, abbreviated DSM-5. So this is a, a mental disorder. That's why it's in, in the manual. And it uh, is a, a serious affliction for those who suffer from it. Now, it used to be that psychological counseling was given to a person who suffered from gender dysphoria to encourage that person to accept that he or she was the body which they were born with. So you know, kind of go home and look in the mirror, you are a man or you are a woman. But with this new technique, there's a new technique that began, probably came out of the Netherlands in the early 2000s, where the decision was made that it was more medically appropriate to change the body to match the mind. And so we have now puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, surgical alterations, and both the larger social phenomenon and this new medical practice have affected, affected many Catholics. Um, we're, we're, we live in this society, and so like everyone else, we have to confront these, these issues. It's interesting when you look at the DSM-5, what they say there is that the discomfort, the mental confusion caused by gender dysphoria is the result of being in the wrong body. It's an extraordinary claim. Uh, it's, I don't know there's ever been any argumentation for it. So the mental discomfort, according to the DSM-5, comes from the fact that you have a man's mind in a woman's body or a woman's mind in a man's body. 
And the second source of the disorder is the fact that people around you do not accept you for the sex that you are, because the DSM-5 assumes you actually are that sex. So to take a, a real life case uh, from a couple of years ago, a woman called and said, uh, my husband, a prominent member of a Catholic, our Catholic church here, a leader, uh, came to me and said, uh, honey, sorry to say this to you, but I am a woman. And her reaction to that was, what, are you crazy? This is terrible. Uh, how could you say this to me? And he said, I, I'm going to start wearing dresses around the house and I'm going to go to, to mass in a dress. Uh, again, she's completely shocked. The children are ashamed. And the psychologist who is counseling the man says to them, please don't add to his difficulty, his suffering. You need to accept him for who she is. So it's a problem that has broader societal effects and individual personal effects for Catholics. Yeah. I'm wondering, Ted, if um, do you think the bishop's statement may be I don't know how do I say politically motivated in the sense that as we're recording this podcast and as this document has come out, um, various states are beginning to pass laws that are banning so-called transitioning for children. We see what's happening in Western Europe um, with countries um, that are you know, banning these medical procedures for, uh, for minors. We see Joe Biden who has used his presidency to advance and really impose gender ideology on the country as a whole. Do you think these, these political realities are playing into the bishop's decision to, or at least the doctrine committee's decision to issue this document at this time? I suppose so secondarily. Uh, I don't think their primary intention is political. Okay. But of course, this is a political matter. As we've seen, you know, people are censored for disagreeing with uh, the claim that you can change your sex, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's move into the document itself. And, and Ted, we're going to start with you uh, as well with this question. So the first section of the document is titled, quote, The Natural Order. And it begins by stating, quote, The fundamental tenet of the Christian faith is that there is an order in the natural world that was designed by its creator and that this created order is good. The church has always affirmed the essential goodness of the natural order and called on us to respect it, unquote. How does the doctrine committee, Ted, relate this understanding of the natural order to, first of all, the, the body-soul connection and secondarily to human sexual differentiation? Yeah, so we are born into a world where there is a natural order and reason is able to reflect on this natural order and obtain guidance on how to live. Uh, the natural order is teleological, it's directed toward the good, and when we examine how God has established natural motion toward the good, we have a better understanding of our role and what we are supposed to be and to do in various areas. Obviously, sexual differentiation between men and women is part of God's plan, and uh, we are drawn to each other, uh, but we have our own distinct identities. Uh, so we have our own ends or natures uh, that should dominate our thinking about morality in this area. There's a, a nice passage here that I'm just going to read to you. It's kind of a key quote um, it's from um, 
first section here. Human beings are not two natures united, but rather their union forms a single nature. They're speaking of body and soul here. The soul does not come into existence on its own and somehow happen to be in this body as if it could just as well be in a different body. A soul can never be in another body, much less be in the wrong body. This soul only comes into existence together with this body. This is the key passage. It really is the um, solution to everything. Everything that follows comes from this, this point. And it's addressing the question of whether it's possible for, obviously, the soul to be in the wrong body. Now, we'll also say mind here, since we're rational souls. The human soul is much more than just reason. But uh, this is how contemporary psychiatry and psychology thinks of the soul as mind. And they're simply saying that's impossible. Um, and when you look back at the tradition and you, you think about this, you know, through that lens of Aristotle, Aquinas, church teachings, what you see is that the soul does not have a sex. Sex comes from the body. And since the soul and the body come into being at the moment of conception, it's impossible for one to be mistaken about one's sexual identity because you become male or female in that moment of infusion and you learn how to be male or female over the course of living as a man or a woman. And it is, it is a challenge. I mean, I don't know many people who would want to go back to their teenage years and relive them because when you're going, when you're going through that period, I'll pass. <laughs> It's a very confusing period where you're trying to understand what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What am I supposed to do? And you only find out by living your life. Uh, and, you know, but you're also very vulnerable. And this is when this whole transgender ideology hits. Uh, it it comes to young people, especially, and uh, they're kind of tempted to fall into this, this error, which the bishops are very worried about and want to you know, help Catholics uh, avoid. Right. John, anything to, uh, to add to that? Well, just to say, uh, as you know, I'm a fan of history, that uh, it, people uh, over time have, have gotten things wrong uh, about basic human nature. It, it's a very complex thing, and there have been movements uh, and figures in history that have sort of stressed that the spirit of the human person, the, the rational soul, is the real person. The body is relatively unreal, and if, it's, uh, and if it's not unreal, then it is less valuable. So the church has faced dualisms in the past that have been you know, quite threatening. Uh, it's easy for people to get these things wrong. And uh, this appears to be a, a kind of a dualism uh, that is coming back with tremendous implications also. And Ted Wells stated uh, our belief and, and, and also a, a pretty good conclusion we can make that there is an order in the world. But, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that um, it can be very difficult to understand that order <laughs> and to apply it to very detailed questions. And that's why he says we, we need revelation, you know, to confirm uh, some of our hunches and to guide us securely to understand and respect the good. And uh, that just gets us back to this 
document by the Committee on Doctrine. It, it really is here to help us to sort out some very deep issues and some very complex issues and to apply them to some very confusing uh, things going on in the world. All right, the next section of the docu doctrinal note is called uh, Technological Interventions, and it states the following, quote, the human person, body and soul, man or woman, has a fundamental order and finality whose integrity must be respected. Because of this order and finality, neither patients, nor physicians, nor researchers, nor any other persons have unlimited rights over the body. They must respect the order and finality inscribed in the embodied person, unquote. In light of this, and Ted, we'll go to you first again. What does the doctrine committee say about, first of all, repairing a defect of the body, and then secondly, sacrificing a part of the body necessary for the welfare of the body as a whole? Yeah, this concerns a well-known Catholic principle in bioethics that of totality and integrity. Mm -hmm. And without going into too much detail, it basically says that the parts serve the whole and that you cannot hurt the parts or the whole without a significant reason. So you are able to hurt a part if it's you're trying to repair it in some way or cause some further damage to the body or if you are trying to remove some threat to the life of the person. So a nice example would be a gangrenous limb. It's perfectly okay to cut off a limb uh, to preserve your life, even though you would never do that unless you were you know, under some kind of disease. Uh, so those are acceptable. And there has been an effort within Catholic healthcare among, or theorists, bioethicists, to argue that uh, transgender procedures are permissible under the principle of totality and integrity. Now, there's the two possibilities, re repairing a defect in the body. Now, that obviously doesn't work because it's a problem there's of no the mind. Defect. And right. yeah, I mean, everything's fine the way it is. But sacrificing a part for the whole has been suggested. Uh, so what is interesting about that is that the bishops simply dismiss that. Well, they go into some detail and explain. They look at Pius XII statements on this and talk about it at length to show that they're correctly interpreting the principle of totality and integrity, and it simply doesn't apply. It's, it's, um, they're actually trying to change the body rather than preserve it from some harm. That's the more fundamental um, practice here. Although the proponents of this within Catholic healthcare say, no, if we uh, put them through this regime, begin to transition them, it will make them feel better. And if they feel better, that will you know, accomplish the aims of medicine. Uh, but the fact is, you go back to the beginning here, it's not possible for the mind to be in the wrong body. Uh, so they, they say, you know, it can't be done. Right. John Marhaney, anything to add yeah, to that? I just, yeah, I, I just want to, uh, I guess, jump in and, um, and make a point, not so much about that detailed application, but about the larger principle and, and something that the committee says 
right at the start when it begins to discuss technological interventions. And they cite Pope Pius XII, who as a pope wrote a great deal on medical moral issues, you know, emerging technologies, uh, practices, and, you know, the the ethical principles and and ethical teachings that that should guide us. And uh, I've looked at some of his talks and you know, he, he makes a couple of points, one of which in the document is that, uh, you know, patients, human persons are not the absolute masters of themselves. Right. Yep. I think this is such a big part of our culture. And I went back and looked this up. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this book. It's called Our Bodies, Ourselves. And this came out of, uh, you know, Women's Liberation and Boston in the early 1970s. And the whole point of the book, and it was huge bestseller, millions and millions of copies, you know, editions over decades. The whole big part was women need to take ownership over their own bodies, especially when it comes to sex, contraception, abortion, etc. So that whole our bodies, ourselves, we own ourselves you know, that is a big part of our culture, I think. And right from the start, the church would tell us, actually, our lives are a gift. And we were designed by a creator. So it it's just not the case that, you know, we, it, you know, it's all autonomy. If we choose to do it or whatever that is, then we're in charge of ourselves, so to speak. So I, I think that's an important point. And it's from that point that the body is a gift uh, and so on, that you get these subsequent moral principles that uh, Ted just outlined, which is, well, you should you may have to repair it, you know, you may have to preserve the whole, which might entail the sacrifice of a part, but you do that with care, you know, and and with overall respect for the whole. So I I wanted to get that point in. Very good. All right. So with this background on the natural order and on what the bishops say about technological interventions, we move into the next and what I think actually is the most important section of the document. And it's titled uh, Attempts to Alter the Fundamental Order of the Human Body. And this section focuses on medical interventions to address, as the bishops identify, gender dysphoria, as Ted talked about uh, a little bit earlier, or gender incongruence. And these medical interventions include, again, as Ted mentioned, puberty blockers for children, cross-sex hormones, uh, and surgical so-called transitioning procedures. Ted, you first again. Why does the doctrine committee state that these interventions are not morally justified? Well, uh, John uh, Brahani has already really laid down the main point here, and that is certain technological interventions are appropriate. This is actually started in the first paragraph, and certain technological interventions on the person are an effort, I would say simply, to assume God's place, to think that we can reconstruct reality in our own image, I don't know what that image is, some fanciful image of who we should be or who we might be. So they, it, it is interesting that this section is the first mention of gender dysphoria or gender incongruence. The rest right. has been kind of preparing us for this. Right. And it's here really where they arrive at the 
rebuttal to those who say that this should proceed within Catholic uh, intellectual life. Uh, we, you can sacrifice parts for the sake of the whole, but here we're sacrificing parts to change the body, not to preserve the whole, but to change it. So that's the main point of this section. Yeah. John, anything to add to that? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the, the argument is, um, it's very focused, you know, I, I think you could go round and round, if you will, uh, on trying to figure out the relative benefits of these operations. Uh, I've read a lot of literature on this topic. Um, you know, how many studies are out there? How well are they designed? What are the long-term consequences? You know, you can, you can kind of go round and round and round trying to figure out all the implications, either the the promised benefits or the, the real harms. But really, I think the Committee on Doctrine does a pretty good job of cutting to the heart of the ethical matter, which is this is not really, an, uh, so many of these interventions, they're not designed to actually repair a defect of the body. The, you know, it's fascinating. The interesting thing about the true transgender diagnosis, uh, as opposed to a disorder of sexual development, is that by all medical measures, the body is healthy and functioning mm -hmm. well. It is the, the belief, the perception of the person that somehow their their sex, which is in their their mind, differs from a healthy body, and I I think that the committee here makes the point: you're not actually repairing a defect of the body, which is one of the reasons why potentially serious. You know, there's always a danger to anesthesia. You know, this is why interventions have been sought and justified in the past, and you're not doing this. And this is really not a, a question of sacrificing one part for the sake of the whole. This is actually an intent to remake the whole, to, to change the whole into something utterly different. Really, I guess, in, in opposition to the very notion of the created order, the nature of the human person the fundamental good of maleness or femaleness. And so it's not ethically justified. Yeah. Both of you said that, uh, you know, the bishops really kind of focus, focus in this section here. And there's two sentences that I think really do that. And it kind of sums up what you both said. And I'm just going to read them. And if, if you both have a reaction to it, uh, the bishops say, when a part of the body is legitimately sacrificed for the sake of the whole body, whether by an entire removal, or substantial refiguration of a bodily organ, the removal or reconfiguring of the body organ is reluctantly tolerated as the only way to address a serious threat to the body. Here, by contrast, now they're talking about so-called gender-affirming care, here, by contrast, the removal or refiguring in it is itself the desired result. And I think they're pointing down exactly to what both Ted, you, and John were saying here. Yes, yes, true, very true. All right. So uh, moving on, in my, in my humble opinion, and you guys may agree, you may disagree on this, and John, we'll start with you uh, with this question. In my opinion, the most important line in the entire document, the money line, you might want to call it, is this one. And the bishops say, quote, Catholic healthcare services must not perform interventions 
whether surgical or chemical hormones, that aim to transform the sexual characteristics of a human body into those of the opposite sex or take part in the development of such procedures, unquote. John, what are the implications of this statement for Catholic healthcare? Well, I, I think the implications are huge. Uh, they're huge and complex. Well, let me try to unpack this as, as quickly as I can. And this almost gets back to the question of why are the bishops addressing this issue right now? This issue has grown beyond, you might say, the, the subjective impression of a small set of individuals, you know, that involves great suffering and so on. Really, the entire field of medicine, in a way, has been turned on its head to, to justify and to advance this entire approach to medical interventions. And many expectations and requirements legally by, binding by law, binding by regulation, you know, binding by accreditation, you know, all kinds of things have been lined up to, to in a sense, create an entire new regime in medicine. You know, so medical societies have lined up to support uh, what something called gender affirmative care, which means if somebody expresses something you don't question it. You you simply start acting in accordance with that, and you um, you know take two operations and and call me next week. You know major medical uh, institutions, major medical journals, you know health insurers, and so on. So with all of that systemic, you know all those systemic forces lined up. For Catholic healthcare, which is a significant presence in the United States, roughly 10% of hospitals, roughly 15% of all healthcare, to, to step back from these kinds of interventions in principle, at, at a, you know, just, just to say in principle, we're not doing these things, I think will be huge. And Joe, you and I get to talk to people in, in healthcare with some frequency. I, I think we would find that many would say we don't do we don't do these things they don't come up I mean there are enough people or institutions or clinics uh, who will offer these services we don't want to have anything to do with them and in a sense I think they may welcome this and say well we didn't want to do it because we didn't think it was right or helpful and now now we have some guidance that we can cite and it doesn't come down to our opinion because people turn around and say well you're prejudiced you're bigoted you know and, and so on so they'll welcome it i think some other healthcare organizations maybe have bought into this or maybe are motivated to say we don't want to be sued we don't want to be investigated by the state or the federal government. We have to go along. I mean, this is, the stakes are big and, and they may not welcome it. So uh, it'll be complex. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I, Ted. I, I would just add here uh, that Catholic healthcare needs to join this, I'm going to call it a fight, this fight against harming young people and really, uh, well, just 
disrupting society, the way that this is rolling out, and John Brahaney is absolutely correct, this has got a lot of powerful forces behind it. So you do hope that Catholic healthcare will express its fidelity to the bishops and, and admit that these procedures need to come to an end. It's interesting, your reader, your listeners might find it interesting, uh, Joe, uh, to th- hear about how the church makes these decisions. I know we at the NCBC have been waiting for a statement along these lines for quite a while, mm-hmm. and it sometimes gets frustrating waiting. But what the church does is it lets its Catholic bioethicists, theologians, philosophers argue it out. And it's been argued out for several years now. And then the church makes a decision. And there's, for example, there's one prominent Catholic bioethicist on the West Coast who offered an argument on behalf of these procedures. And hey, let's face it, they're very profitable. They're very profitable Mm -hmm. for hospitals. And his argument is really addressed in this document. It doesn't talk about, as this bioethicist does, primary sex characteristics and secondary sex characteristics. His argument was, well, you can't do the primary. You can't do any changes to the genitals, but you can remove breasts or change the voice or other secondary features. It's interesting. He is not mentioned here. And yet this is a reply to him by way of negation and the affirming of views that really the NCBC has been advancing for some time now. So it is gratifying for us and you hope the other Catholic hospitals will sign on and and become part of the the struggle to bring this to an end. Yeah. You both kind of answered this question already, but I'm going to ask it. Um, Just briefly, what do you think the reaction will be from Catholic healthcare to this, John? I think there will be formal and uh, I, I think sort of uh, acceptance uh, in, a, in a general way. I, I have heard concerns expressed by people who have said, we don't want to be put in a, in a position, you know, where we are discriminating against people and, and, you know, whether it's by state law or by federal regulation, you know, the Biden administration is pushing the implication of federal regulation on this, you know, I I think there's been great caution about falling afoul of of these, again, these laws, regulations, and institutional pressures. I think uh, formally, most people will welcome it. I think working this out you know, and and sending this message, educating about it, all their health professionals, all the people they employ, I think it's going to be complex. Yeah, Yeah, the struggle is going to fall to those institutions that are really faithful to the bishop's message. They'll be the ones who uh, take up the lawsuits, who are sued, who are, you know, who knows what will happen to them, but they will carry the cross and uh, the others which are willing to be accommodating will hopefully gain the benefits of, of those uh, leadership uh, institutions. Yeah. All right, Ted, this next question is, is going to come back to you. So immediately after saying that Catholic healthcare uh, services cannot perform these institutions, the Doctrine Committee s- states this, they, or quote, they, Catholic healthcare services, must employ all appropriate resources to mitigate the suffering of those who struggle with gender incongruence. 
but the means used means used must respect the fundamental order of the human body, which is what we talked about earlier. Only by using morally appropriate means do healthcare providers show full respect for the dignity of each human person, unquote. So the bishops are they're very cognizant of the fact that they're making a very strong claim, but then they also want to come back and say, Catholic healthcare, you know, while you can't do these procedures, what we do need to be doing is treating those, helping those who experience uh, gender uh, incongruence. So, Ted, how does how does Catholic healthcare mitigate the suffering of people who experience gender incongruence in morally appropriate ways? Well, this is the the tragedy of this whole situation, which has become so politicized, but. Worse than that, just gone off on some strange medical view that you can change the body to suit a disorder of the mind. It's, I mean, what should be happening, gender dysphoria is a real affliction. It should be properly treated with counseling, psychiatric help, support, you know, support for these people. Instead, uh, what's happening, and it's happening to the young. Uh, they are undergoing these puberty blockers, sex change hormones, and physical alterations. There's a study out in the New England Journal of Medicine from January of this year, a two-year study of the use of sex hormones on young people. And it's, it's not too much of interest here. It's not a very informative study. But what is interesting about it is the participants in this study, the numbers that are there. The, the, the earliest is 12 years old. They run from 12 to 20 years. The vast majority of them are under 18 years of age. These, these youngsters who are just getting started in you know, their, their physical processes for becoming a man and a woman are being interrupted artificially by medicine. And, well, seriously harmed. I mean, these, these procedures cannot be reversed. They thought they could be earlier on, but hormone uh, administration, this significantly alters the body. And we've yet to see what the consequences of this might be. Uh, also, the statistics here are imbalanced in terms of men and women. There are much more women in this group. They seem to be afflicted by this more than men. We don't have any stats on autistic children, but many autistic children fall into this pit and undergo these procedures. So what the bishops are saying to parents is, please protect your children from the ravages of this ideology. This is the wrong thing to do to them. It's a plea to them, to parents. Yeah. Interesting. John, any comments? Well, yeah, it, it's complicated, I think, because our society in many respects has created this problem, you know. So you have young people in particular in greater numbers who are suffering from these profound feelings of, uh, well, dysphoria is the word, you know, profound sense of uh, identity, uh, really a crisis of identity, a and our society is pouring gasoline on on the fires uh, of that dysphoria. So, um, in, in fact, I, I know I I just shared a, an interview with one of the founders of this field, uh, who whose work goes back to the 
early to mid 1970s and she's admitting now we were wrong all along about puberty blockers you know we we thought they would help to relieve anxiety basically they don't but they appear to cement if you will the the sense of disjunction between body and mind anyway so how do you help people well uh, there is therapy that was done in the past and that was relatively successful for most people you know in mitigating this and i think you stop doing things that that are harmful if not counter, you know, absolutely counterproductive. And uh, it does appear that, that what we've been doing over the last five to 10 years uh, is, is just that. John was speaking there of uh, Dr. Susan Bradley, who was a Canadian psychiatrist. She's now re- uh, retired. She ran a facility for those who suffer from gender dysphoria. She is a top-notch figure in the field. And her statement is very significant and hopefully will have some impact. She wrote the first entry in the DSM. DSM four came directly from her. So she was a pioneer researcher in this area. She still thinks it may be helpful for adults, but she has turned against its use for children. And that's what the bishops are speaking about in this particular section. Very interesting. Uh, I I recognize that I asked you the question before about uh, the reaction to the doctrinal note in Catholic healthcare, but I'm wondering uh, briefly, John and Ted, if you could tell us, what do you think the reaction will be to this note in the secular world and maybe even in sort of the general church itself? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I I think the reaction in the Catholic world will be more complex, so to speak. I think in the secular world, some people will probably react by saying, well, I thought you were against this all along, right? I mean, I, I think if 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 you ask you know the average American to, to take a guess where the Catholic Church would come down on some of this, I bet more than 50% would say, oh, they're probably against that, you know? So, you know, I think some people would say, well, I, I guess that makes sense, you know, based on what I know about Catholics. I think our opponents uh, in the in the culture wars, which I just want to add, those culture wars uh, largely are initiated by our opponents. Um, I think they'll say, well, there they go again. Uh, to quote Ronald Reagan, there, there they are trying to control, you know, uh, trying to not allow women to have abortion or contraception. They're always out to control people's bodies. And here they are again, telling people what they can't do with their bodies. So, and that, I guess, will be nothing new, so to speak. And there, there are many, uh, you know, issues and arguments in which they, they line up the complete opposite of us. And they'll just say, Probably again, there they go again. Yeah, yeah. I think John has got it nailed there. But there's one one other possibility is that just as uh, deep sixed, and they don't really even talk about it. Uh, my, I would love to see a big reaction on the part of the secular media because this information needs to get out to the public, and they need to to see that the Catholic bishops are taking a stand and saying, you know, that we're not going in the right direction on this. So. I hope for there will be secular reaction to it, and it won't just be memory hold, as they say. Yeah. 
I'd like to conclude our, our discussion of the document itself, uh, going back to Ted, and kind of pick up on something that you brought up, and it, it's really the role of parents. So the, the document's penultimate paragraph um, states, quote, particular care should be taken to protect children and adolescents who are still maturing and who are not capable of providing informed consent, unquote. Now, Ted, you, you, you uh, kind of teed this up a little bit earlier, but um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about what's the role of parents in addressing issues of gender with their children? Well, children cannot make decisions for themselves. It's not legally permitted. And it's because, in fact, they're not physically, mentally mature enough to make their own decisions. So parents have a duty to care for their children. And they have to exercise it, uh, you know, taking into account what's best for them. And the alarm here is that parents are permitting this to happen to their children uh, for, I would love to know why they do this. I think many times they are caught up in the social persuasion that we've mentioned here on a couple of occasions and feel that this, this is a psychiatrist. He's highly qualified. They don't realize that the theory doesn't have a solid foundation and they are genuinely trying to care properly for their children. But, you know, again, the wisdom of the church has deeper roots, really in what I will call metaphysics, in a, a deeper understanding of the natural order that precedes and is more important than the claims of science or psychiatry or anything else. So that's what the church is calling these parents to turn their attention to, the deeper wisdom of the church. John, any comments? Well, real quick, and I know you asked Ted about the important role of parents, and I I agree, uh, you know, that that parents have an important role and and some parents have neglected it. But I, I think this um, I think this injunction extends beyond parents uh, to society, uh, to citizens and so on. Parents are up against a lot. I mean, it appears that most public school systems, certainly thousands and thousands of them, have adopted curricula for teaching this stuff uh, to children. Um, child protection uh, services, social services have adopted the view that, that if a child expresses this desire or identity, again, gender affirming, you must go with it. And if parents get in the way, this is an example of child abuse or child neglect, and the child can be taken out of their care. Uh, I mean, this is fully, uh, you know, fully done. I mean, if you look at the, um, you know, it, we've talked about medical interventions, but medical insurance, even Medicaid in our own state of Pennsylvania, Medicaid pays for puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, surgical interventions under Medicaid. And I believe this also applies to children. So really, we as a society, we as citizens, we as a church, we as groups of people have to fight to protect children. Uh, and absolutely, 
parents have a great role. I mean, I guess if there's one message that I'd want to tell parents in case they haven't noticed, you cannot trust, uh, you know, public schools, uh, even your public library to protect your child, you know. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. Uh, parents need to step up. Um, one of the first things they can do is not trust that the public schools are the same as when they went and not that they were great back then, but they're much worse now. So, yeah, just in, in light of that, as you were speaking, I'm recalling, I just read an article very recently about just the number uh, just the overwhelming number of schools in the U.S. public schools who have actual policies in place that if a child expresses that he or she is the quote-unquote wrong sex, by policy they don't inform parents of this. Uh, and this is what we're up against. And it's just it's just absolutely insane. And they actively uh, deceive parents, yeah. So, I, I, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you have the state of California that passed a law that says if a child comes and, you know, it's trans-sanctuary. So if a child says that he or she is the wrong sex, they will not send the child back or they, you know, there's yeah. no legal recourse for parents out of state. It's absolutely insane. Uh, anyway, well, we could spend hours on that. Um, kind of pulling things to a close a little bit. I, I was wondering, uh, John first and Ted, I was, was wondering as you've read the document and I've read the document a number of times and I'm sure you have as well. I'm wondering if uh, there are any questions or issues that remain open, so to speak, or, or unresolved, and, or, or maybe stated a little bit differently, is there anything you wish the Doctrine Committee had addressed in this note, but did not? Joe, I'll just go first, because I can be briefer. Sure. I, th I think that this is an excellent document. I think it's very tightly written. I think it covers all the major issues. And I, th I you know, I think it's effective. Uh, so I, I think it's fine. I don't really see any major lapses, but I don't know, maybe John, you, you see something that could be done in addition. Uh, well, I, I think if I had to, you know, make an overall comment about the document, I would say it is very tightly focused. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you, when you think of all there is to say on this topic and all the, you know, the complicated issues and arguments and, and so on, uh, that, that's a great benefit. It is tightly focused. It is grounded on some of the most fundamental fundamental pillars of our faith. Again, about the created order, about human nature, uh, about the good of sex uh, and sexual identity and so on. So th that's all to the good. And, and focused also because what it really addresses are the, the issues of clinical interventions, you know, chemical, surgical, we would also say therapeutic uh, or psychological. Um, so it, it does all that well. Uh, are there things left unsaid? Uh, well, I will say that even this document has to be applied. You know, the question is, are they saying there are no exceptions or something? You know, and, and I think they're stating a, a general principle, which, which should hold. I, you know, we have faced questions about what happens if somebody gets on these hormones, cross-sex hormones, and they come into a hospital, you know, for a long-term psychiatric stay or something, they might be there 30 days. Uh, are they 
allowed or or even helped to keep taking these drugs, you know. And on the one hand, we say, well, we don't want to facilitate or support this in any way, but we've talked to qualified and, and very sound endocrinologists who say an abrupt cessation of these drugs, given how powerful they are, could be dangerous, you know. So there will be some complicated cases. Um, I, I wouldn't expect them to try to do all of that in this document. But, uh, you know, there's there's much thinking and application to do. And then a host of other issues, including health insurance coverage for these things. I'm sure the bishops and Catholic instit- any Catholic institution should know that uh, this really focuses, you might say, on the principled question of whether these interventions are good and permitted or not? And the answer is clear, no, uh, to both questions. So, Good. We've talked a lot over the past hour or so. As as we always finish up, I'm going to ask you for your words of wisdom. So John Brahaney, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Oh, uh, I thought I would just mention one of my favorite passages from Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where St. Paul says, you know, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Do not be conformed to the spirit of this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is always uh, a challenge for Christians but it is particularly important today, given all that is going on, do not be conformed to the spirit of this age, you know? And I think we we must approach these questions, and even more importantly, the people suffering from this dysphoria and even the advocates with a truly transformed mind. So those are my words of wisdom. Very good. Ted Furton, you get the final word today. So Ted, what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? Well, I'm going to go back and uh, stress again the role of parents, uh, not only Catholic parents, but all parents uh, in in this nation to, to please protect your children from the ravages of this procedure, this false ideology uh, or false response to a true problem of gender dysphoria. These changes are permanent. They're life altering. Your children will never be the same. Excellent. Ted Furton, John Brahaney, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thanks for hosting. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them, 
And if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.